0: the thing humanity consumes the most is water. The second most thing we consume is data, and that's growing at an just absolutely alarming rate. And the impact of that is pretty widespread in terms of a positive benefit as well as you know constraints.
1: In the world of technology, heroes are everywhere. They're overcoming disruption, delivering sustainable outcomes, and fearlessly forging the future to solve what's next. Join me, Ed McNamara, as we meet the people and businesses driving change in our constantly disruptive world. This is Innovation Heroes, a podcast brought to you by SHI. In our world, data is booming. Data is doubling at an unprecedented rate, and data centers around the globe are struggling to keep up with the demands placed on them. The hard fact is that the vacancy rate of data centers in some regions is as low as 1%. We are in the middle of a data capacity crisis, a ticking time bomb for businesses around the globe. Hi, and welcome back to Innovation Heroes. On today's show, we're going to meet Tom Frazier, a hero who is stepping up to take on the data center crisis head on with his company, Redivider. Redivider's approach is as simple as it is revolutionary. Pre-fabricated modular data centers that can be deployed in a few weeks, cut down on design excess and reduce reliance on the grid, all while driving more sustainable ecological outcomes. Redivider has been making headlines all summer with their first clients primarily focused on cryptocurrency mining and smart cities. In addition to being co-founder and CEO of Redivider, Tom has over 25 years driving transformational and disruptive initiatives in technology, finance, and information security. Since those three categories basically neatly describe about half of SHI's combined customers and partners, I'm really looking forward to learning more about Tom's revolutionary vision to redefine the landscape of data center infrastructure. Tom Frazier, welcome to the show.
0: Well, thanks for having me. Excited to talk with you.
1: Absolutely. So as I said in my intro, today we're talking about the data center capacity crisis. Um, For our listeners who aren't fully aware, can you speak a bit more about challenges we're facing? Why don't we know more about it maybe? And why why it should matter to our listeners?
0: Yeah, it's a really, really good question. You know, I think uh, the way I look about it, the way I talk about it, uh, the thing humanity consumes the most is water. The second most thing we consume is data. And that's growing at an just absolutely alarming rate. And the impact of that is pretty widespread in terms of a positive benefit, as well as, you know, constraints. And the biggest constraint that we have around that is bringing capacity online. You know, all data lives in data centers. Data centers historically have taken 18, 24, 36 months to build these mega centers. And that doesn't match with the growth of data that we're consuming. And so, we have this kind of chasm in between those two concepts of, The benefits we're trying to achieve and the constraints that we're limited by. And, uh, you know, we just really think that there needs to be a wild shift in how we approach this as a problem. I love the water analogy there because water,
1: theoretically, all the water we're ever had or ever going to have has been here since day one in some form, right? Liquid, solid, or gas, right? It's it, Wherever it is, it's been here and, and will continue to be here. Not true for data and not true for what processes data and what stores data. We, we literally are constantly creating more and constantly have to deal with more, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's it just is truly unbelievable about the volume of data. So just by way of example, between literally today... And 2025, there'll be 5.5 times the amount of data in the world. And what that implies is that the total amount of data that's ever existed since the beginning of humanity, about 90% of that has been created in the last 18 months. So these are just staggering numbers. And, you know, with the kind of advent of AI and machine learning and all these new use cases that have exploded in the past six months, that information is not even factored into those numbers, right? So we're just seeing this explosion and, you know, that reliance on data is not going away anytime soon.
1: Right, and, and that's five time, 5.5 times on a huge number. So that, that's when you really consider what the number has become, that, that is incredible. You've got a fascinating background in tech finance and InfoSec, and you've been involved with Bitcoin since 2012. Um, how did you land in the data center business?
0: Uh so I had a uh, or have a rather uh atypical career path. Uh I was hired as faculty staff at my university uh when I was eighteen. And so I had an office and it was you know down the hall from my professors. So um uh I, I ended up doing a lot of interesting projects in school and you know they asked me to join as faculty staff and next thing you know I'm I'm literally working in a data center professionally uh at eighteen. And I've been doing that ever since. You know, my my entire career has been around the idea of the the movement of information, right? So sometimes it's how you store it in a data center. Sometimes it's how it's transferred over the network. And a huge chunk of my life has been around uh, how you secure that information and make sure that, you know, the right controls and governance is in place for that. Um, So... I kind of got started at a, a very young age and, you know, I've I've broken into many data centers in my career as a security person. Uh, literally, the, when you think of the guy that like breaks into the thing, and he's got a janitor outfit in his pocket and puts it on and walks out with the server like that was my job for a very long time.
1: <laughs> or is it Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, or you're literally floating inches off the floor, kind of thing? Not quite <laughs> as
0: drastic. <laughs> no, no, nothing, uh, n- nothing so Hollywood
1: what what was your so what was your your background you know just in in terms of your journey as a student that your professors saw like did you have those data center skills or did they say we see something else in him what we're going to teach these these you know what what he's going to need to know you know from a data center perspective what are your what are your thoughts there like what was your your student journey like my
0: my education journey is probably threefold is one being a professional at a university the second is being a student at a university And the third was being, uh, I went to RIT in Rochester, New York. And RIT is pretty unique in that it has same concept as like a fraternity, but it's for special interest. And so I was chairman of uh, Computer Science House as well, where we would do these student-led projects and initiatives uh, purely for, you know, at the time, you know, this is mid-90s, right? So when the internet boom was happening, uh, you know, it was total chaos and it was magic and free and exciting and standards that we all rely on today were being built. And, um, you know, so as a student, it was a little frustrating because I would go at, from my office, go down the hall to my teachers because we were in the same building. And they were literally learning the uh, material that they're about to teach five minutes before class. And so, you know, I saw behind the curtain, you know, you see how the sausage is made. And at that time, it was just so fast. So, you know, I I think it was just a magical beginning for me to uh, really be exposed to how fast technology was going. And honestly, I look back and I think of that as very, very slow compared to where we are now.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it's it's incredible, and I can tell what they saw in you because, especially when you when they're learning it five minutes before going out to class. So that's awesome, and thanks for sharing that with us. So um, let's get into it then. Let's tell us a bit about uh, Redivider and its mission. Um, can you tell us more about like your your approach and, and the solutions that you're providing?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we so uh, when everyone started working from home. You know, all of a sudden, for for decades, people were saying remote work is possible. Uh, Then all of a sudden, everyone's working from home, and there's this kind of basic idea of how the internet was built. You have a very large data center connected to a very large pipe, connected to a very big building full of people. Well, now all of a sudden, everyone is working from home, and the entire fabric of that is not broken, but it's misaligned. And this idea of edge computing has been around for a very long time, but it didn't really have a killer use case. Right. And this was the moment, you know, 2021 was kind of the moment we created redivider. And that was the moment where it's like, wow, edge really has an opportunity to find its place in the data market. And so what redivider is, is essentially, instead of thinking a data center, that's the size of a million square foot building, right? This massive, huge footprint buildings. Uh, We're looking at it more like how uh, you went from horse and buggy to a car assembly line. We think data centers can be manufactured in a facility. Uh, They are a lot smaller, but being smaller means we can push them closer to where people are, closer to where data is created. And that can really take a lot of the strain off some of the network activity. It allows us to fill in pockets uh, where it's more appropriate to keep data localized. And for us, when we we saw this moment and said, hey, we've got a blank sheet of paper, we have no legacy that we have to protect. And, you know, so let, let's dream the future. And our version of that is not only kind of these prefabricated modular facilities, but it's also how do we bring humanity along with the growth in data? And there has been a, a kind of widening gap and I'll give an example. Um, when a large data center goes into a town, they hire a national construction firm, right? They need a lot of bodies to go and put that thing together. So the local economy is not really benefiting that much because it's a an external workforce. Then when the facility is operating, they're largely designed to be lights-out facilities, which means all the knowledge workers go to places like Silicon Valley. And... So you now have these massive data campuses uh, around the world that don't do a whole lot for those local communities. So our vision on all of this was, yeah, the prefabricated modular facilities is great. You know, Edge is going to be phenomenal. uh, But we really think the missing ingredients to the future are sustainability and social impact. And that's where we went down the rabbit hole of each of those buckets and came out with the model that we have today.
1: It's it's interesting too, as uh, you know, some listeners will know. I'm always fascinated by the legislative aspects of of IT too, and a lot of you know, there's there's always you know when a big company says they're going to go into town, they're going to, you know, they're going to get these tax breaks and incentives and things like that. And then, you know, the people are And when it comes to data centers, the people that the local town or they're going to benefit from just aren't quite there, right? So it's, it's always, yeah. have you ever seen with those big data centers that there's actual, you could benefit from the legislation that was old school, but hasn't caught up with the technology about what happens after everybody leaves, right?
0: yeah and you know so there there's an economic term for that called chained GDP, where the dollars that are generated locally, what percentage of those are spent locally. And you know that is one of the major problems in many industries, the data center industry included, where you might build a two hundred and fifty million dollars facility. The majority of those dollars go to you know not that community. So that's where we really think it's it's important to bring humanity along with this you know massive influx of data and make sure you've put together an impact program for that community. You know, how can, how can we take, uh, and I'll, I'll give two examples, how can we take a waste product of a data center and turn it into value for uh, a town? And right. data centers generate a lot of heat. So, you know, part of our trajectory is to take the waste product of heat and partner with uh, companies that specialize in making greenhouses. And now we can donate these greenhouses to the community and in a lot of cases, the places we're going are called opportunity zones, and those opportunity zones also have mm-hmm. uh, very high correlation to, you know, child obesity, food deserts, that kind of thing. And so, just by way of example, we think by bringing our data center model, uh, we can put in greenhouses, we can change the relationship that children have with food. You know, so th- those are the sort of things that, when you have the ability to define the future, that you know, I think it's the right thing to do to to make sure those are included.
1: Yeah, from something that is going to be, you know, it's just it's just going to be there anyway. The heat coming from the from the data center, right? Um, in terms of um, you know the industry norm, as you said, is is these large custom custom fabricated data centers that take years to build. Um, I'm sure that whenever somebody comes in and starts disrupting, you know, an industry, I'm sure you've uh, you've received your, your share of feedback. But, um, you know, d- despite that, why are you confident that Redivire's
0: model will, will succeed? I think uh, primarily because it's inevitable. If you dig deep enough at the problems and the solutions in the market, uh, there is a massive room for this sort of model to exist. I think we're at the front edge of what that looks like. Uh, You you know, if you think of a data center, the way it sounds, it sounds like an airport, like this massive noise pollution. Well, if you start pushing computing power close to uh, communities, no one wants to have an airport next to a kid's school, right? And and I think the, the canary in the coal mine to prove my point here is the Bitcoin mining industry in the news is constantly vilified as doing bad things for the planet and it's super noisy and it's not great for the community like that's the canary in the coal mine for the data center industry at large and i think you know those are signs of inevitability to me that we have to think more deeply about the problem and how we solve for these problems and you know that's the model that that we've arrived at so redivider definitively will not be the only winner but you know, the f- people that focus on people and planet that deliver higher profit, we think those are going to be the, the winners in the market long term. Got it, got it. Um,
1: could you share some early use cases or clients that have benefited from RitaVirus solutions? I mean, do you, I, I'd, I'm imagining so many different use cases, but do you have some that uh, that maybe stand out you can use as examples?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, I I touched on it before around Bitcoin mining, but I think that's uh, a very concrete example of an industry that really is perceived quite negatively, but with the right solution set can be a phenomenal contributor to, you know, humanity in general. Um, So, for example... Uh, we've got a Bitcoin mining facility that is run with this technology called immersion cooling. So it's basically uh, zero noise whatsoever. So there's no noise pollution. Uh, we're doing so running it with a uh, uh, very green energy source as well. So it's a hydrogen powered facility. So we're, you know, by, by layering in all of these things for Bitcoin mining as a use case, we're trying to tackle the idea that this is the villain of the world you know of this industry and we're showcasing that it's not a villain at all it's the fundamental technologies underneath it of the entire data center industry that are the villains and that's what we're trying to overcome
1: so many different companies have you know ESG initiatives and it, it honestly it feels like we're just getting started in terms of having some sort of standardized i won't say regulation but Companies are definitely getting a little bit more in line with one another in terms of uh, some targets for what they're trying to hit. Um, you know, how does Redividers solution help companies? You know, really, uh, re- really address you know the the ESG and and all the things that come with it. I, I almost hesitate to say yeah, I want to say sustainability. Let's focus on that because ESG is just so massive. And sometimes I'm always wondering why is it all grouped together. <laughs> but like, let's say sustainability. You know, there, there's these targets. It seems like you ha- you'd, you'd give. Them, you'd give your customers a good story to tell in that regard.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with you. You know, we don't really come at this from an ESG perspective, but ESG as an investment philosophy is pretty simple like focus on the environment, focus on you know mm-hmm. the anyway i'll skip the issue a bit but um uh, companies today and cities today and governments today have all rallied around one core idea which uh is the united nations sustainability development goals sdgs and these sdgs are very complicated to wrap your head around at a detail level and they're they're easy at the high level so for example uh zero poverty uh, ending hunger, clean water, you know these are very high level sustainability goals. And the beauty of being in the data center space is as we talked about this growth in data also presents an emission problem because now you have a much larger emission mm-hmm. factor to worry about. And so we think that uh, C-level executives, boards of publicly traded companies, you know, private equity funds, all these very large groups that have committed to making meaningful improvement. We think just shifting your computing to somebody like Redivider is going to help them on that path, right? So it's not a question of speeds and feeds and capacity and all the things that nerds like me like to talk about. It's pretty simple to say, look, you have publicly stated sustainability goals, you have publicly stated social impact goals, let's work with you to achieve some of those things through computing. And we know out of the, you know, dozen or so areas, we can help you with these six. And we think that that's a much simpler message for the market. We think it's a stronger message that aligns with the directive of a company. And we know everyone has growing computing needs. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really have a a negative effect on them in any way. And it's, it's only positive.
1: You, you mentioned speeds and feeds. And you know, a lot of our audience is that's exactly what they're focused on, like, they can't have, you know, any dip in performance or things like that. And, um, you know, it, it, you're you're definitely getting people to, to try to transition from something that is, you know, like well, you know, the old phrase, like, nobody ever got fired for hiring IBM. And that's, that's that's an old yep. phrase. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, but, but you know what I'm getting at, right? So it's like, if somebody says, Hey, I love all these other things how do you absolutely ensure that assure them that there's not going to be any dip in any performance for what you're providing versus what they could just simply go ahead and, and do as always.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think part of it is, uh, all of that is table stakes, right? If we weren't able to offer, uh, these sort of things that were necessary for the market, we wouldn't be in business. Uh, but the, the, probably the more direct answer to the question is, most people today are over-serviced by their data center provider, right? Because, again, if it takes a quarter of a billion dollars to build a single building and you build that to a tier three specification, let's say, the like Uptime Institute kind of tier system, you build it to a tier three facility or tier four, tier two, whatever it is, you're going to give the customers that level of service because that's what you have to offer. So it's kind of, you know, not square peg in a round hole, but it's kind of like, not exactly perfect fit. By prefabricating facilities and having a library of different modules, we have better aligned the use case of a workload with the capability of a facility. And so with all the table stakes in there of you know you've got to have the right latency, you've got to have the right capacity, you have to have the right power and all these things. Uh, but now we've delivered something that's more appropriate to your use case. And most companies have multiple use cases as well. So we can have a campus that has a tier two facility right next door on that same campus can be a tier three facility. And there might be 20 tier three facilities and five tier two facilities. We might have like in the case of uh, a facility to train AI models, that's totally different use case that before would have had an out of balance cost because you're kind of just jamming it in whatever is available now with the kind of edge model and prefabrication model we can build the facilities exactly to what's needed to do that job and if that job happens to physically need to move we can pick it up put it on a truck put it on a train (laughs) take it somewhere else you know imagine disney uh wanting to do a new animated film and they need a render farm for a year great we'll drop in a power generation facility connected to a microgrid island, drop in a data center for rendering a movie. A year later, it goes away. So what I would say to those people is, you know, the we're not saying all computing is going to this model. This is a new layer of computing that didn't really exist before. And we think there's a, a copious amount of use cases where it is a better solution than a traditional facility.
1: Yeah, we're we're just a, depending on when, when the listeners are listening to. It. We're just a couple of months after uh, the, the the Disney uh, the Disney discussions down in Florida. I thought you were going to suggest Disney was was leaving for a second. There. It's like <laughs> no, the data centers can. I totally get it. Which which actually brings up a great point from from a prefab perspective. Um, how much quicker and more cheaply can you know can you guys provide these solutions compared to you know a stationary um, you know data center that you were talking about.
0: Therein lies the magic of what we've been spending years doing. Uh, You know, this (laughs) this is a supply chain business uh, through and Mm -hmm. through and mapping how all of that works. Um, So the short answer is in the beginning when you're seeding that supply chain and you have all the moving parts of all the things that go into dozens of library modules that ultimately spit out several different types of data centers. You know, that's still an 18 month, 24 month process Mm -hmm. to build out that supply chain. But the result on the other end is we want to be able to produce uh sorry, turn on a facility in less than thirty days. So we wanna buy a piece of dirt, deliver a data center, have it running compute within thirty days. And that's unheard of. Wow. I mean it's never been accomplished. Wow. But that is our that's our goal within the next maybe thirty six months is to be able to run at that sort of pace.
1: Wow. That that's that is impressive. <laughs> um, so I suspect there's a lot of answers to this next question, but we have a lot of senior IT leaders, well, both, both business and IT leaders listening. And, you know, not only are you you know, talking about speeds and feeds, but, you know, you're also co-founder, CEO, you know, r- running a business as well. So um, from what you've learned about, you know, surprising the data center industry, you know, or have you learned anything, you know, surprising about the data center industry, I meant, and, and like anything that um, that you've learned that you think, you know, business and IT leaders, you know, should know, or or just, you know, something where you're like, did you guys ever have any idea about this? <laughs>
0: Uh, look, I, I, have got a lot of those, you know, I tend to <laughs> attend a lot of industry conferences and, you know, like I said, I've been doing this since the mid nineties and I right. learned something every day. You know, if, if I have one addiction in my life, I'm, I'm truly addicted to learning things. And I would say for, for those IT leaders, you know, there, there's a few major concepts that are really important to understand that shape the future. You know, the first one being, uh, the major atrophy in the construction workforce is going to affect all of our jobs as an industry. There are not enough people to build houses, to build buildings, to build data centers, uh, period. So if you look at the uh, total pipeline of data center capacity, that's uh, in, you know, like being, being made in the world right now, the workforce to build that is probably 20 to 30% of what it needs to be. And right. so we're going to see this extended timeline of computing power get pushed out. So at the same time, as we see smart cities turning on, you know, I mean, guys, we're, we're IOTing everything. Like everything is becoming a sensor. Right. Uh, right. And, and when you, when you start turning on hundreds of millions of new devices that all have data the idea of data gravity and cloud computing really comes into question. Like, is a city in, I don't know, New Jersey, are they going to send data from hundreds of millions of sensors to a cloud somewhere else, or do they want it in their city? And so I do think that uh, this the atrophy in the construction workforce is a major problem that we need to understand. I think the... Like, sensorization of the world is something that is going to be a formidable thing for IT leaders to get their head around. Uh, and, you know, for the kind of old guys like us, where you remember when mobile devices were first added to the enterprise and it was like everyone's pulling their hair out and it's so crazy. Right. <laughs> I, IOT is going to be that at times like literally a factor of 500,000 or a million. Like, this there, is just going to be so much more ubiquitous than anything we've ever seen before and the the last thing i'd say is water like i said the, the thing humans consume most in the entire world is water and as this data growth thing happens and uh, the emission factor of that data you know you're talking millions and millions of gallons of water per day that has to increase well where is that water going to come from arizona's right. already running out of water for people to drink you know we're seeing contamination in water waterways like in you know ohio or in michigan uh, so we're going to see major constraints around water that we really have to come to some sort of consensus on a way to move forward.
1: With with just having so many practical, you know, both business and technology like, um, you know, applications uh, to this. Who, when, when you go into a, a meeting with a with a potential client, or you go into you go into that, you know, you're. You guys are, are pitching somebody on your on your services. You know who who's the ideal person that you want to be talking to? Like who do you well, you're like? Hey, I'm, I know who's going to be in this meeting, and I'm really excited about this one. Who who would that be?
0: Well, you know the the age old way to sell. There's people that uh, can say no, and there's one person that can say yes. <laughs> so I think we we have to address all the people that could say no. Um, but really, the decision maker for us is, in our model is really the the C-level executive or the board. And Mm -hmm. that is a very different sales strategy than a lot of other data center providers where they're largely talking to IT departments because we think our solution is about alignment to the sustainability development goals and using computing as a vehicle to help them get there as opposed to saying, Edge is great. Here's the benefits of keeping your compute closer for security, lower latency, lower costs, you know, more accurate provisioning like those are all the things that we have to do that we want to do to deliver next generation data centers. But that's to the people that would potentially say no. So we have to have that solution there. But the the people that can say yes, that we want to talk to all the time are the ones that have an enterprise to run. And they have bigger things where IT is a component of the things that they have to do right, right yeah how,
1: how do you uh, how do you guys make it seem like from the, from the IT perspective I mean they they've kind of had the monopoly on on data center knowledge right they would report back up to the c level and it was kind of like okay if that's what you guys say right <laughs> I guess yeah. you guys have kind of do a, a bit of an end around around that
0: Well and, and that's why what we're doing is is not in replacement of we're not trying to take right. away, Anything that exists in the IT department, zero, you know, but as new projects come on, again, IOT or, you know, smart manufacturing, smart cities, like all these initiatives that are new, there is no solution for those things. You know, that's where we can say, hey, give us a try. If we fail, we fail. But, you know, if we don't, then that allows us to then extend a little deeper into the IT department as things go through a replacement cycle
1: absolutely no that's uh that that is absolutely interesting so um what do we expect next from from redivider and uh you know final final call to action how can listeners get in touch with you to to learn more
0: uh, Well, you can visit our website uh you know you can we're the only redivider in town so we're pretty easy to pretty easy to find. Um, but you know, what's next, what's next for us is, you know, we're continuing on, on our mission of, of doing these edge facilities and doing what what we call prime on site power where we're, you know, the, the other thing that's interesting about edge is there's not a lot of power in places that we need to go. Uh, so we focus really hard on coming up with solutions where we are our own power generation. Uh, Mm. so we've, We've largely been, fo- for the last couple of years, we've been focused very heavily on the data center side, and now I think we're moving into a more balanced uh, energy provision and data center as the the ideal scenario for us to deploy anywhere in the world.
1: Um, in terms of, uh, I, I guess I lied, I have another question that, that came up. Um, <laughs> so we talked about the very beginning, we're bringing it full circle, back to the... the um, you know, the exponential growth in the five, five, five and a half times, you know, the, the data uh, statistic that you talked about. Um, how how many times have you, uh, you know, provided, you know, um, a, a solution for a customer who already is like, yeah, we need you back already?
0: Well, uh, it, it's, it's interesting to phrase it in that way. You know, I think a big portion of the infrastructure that we're going to build is going to be for the hyperscaler category. You know, if you if you think of a customer of a hyperscaler, you know, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, whomever, when cloud was born, it was such a beautiful solution and it still is today. But now the constraint mm-hmm. is to shuttle that data back and forth to the cloud is increasingly high cost. Right. And by pushing the edge, or all these cloud vendors have, you know, a cloud edge program to make a smaller version closer to their customer uh, to save them money. Otherwise the customers are going to leave and go do something else. So, you know, we think that that's the one of the major early drivers over the next few years is, is that, Hey, great. We're, we, you know, we want to go from three locations to 10 locations to Mm. 200 locations, right? Because the more they can do that, the more they're benefiting their largest customers who are in many, many places. And we think that's um, that's probably the most likely repeat uh, customer category. Got it. Got it. No, that's... that's, that's... It it seems true,
1: and and you're just going to see the as as the company grows and, and has new locations, they're going to they'll be back for sure. So, Tom, looking at the clock on the wall, just saying uh, we we can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your insights and and Redivider's revolutionary vision with us today. Um, your passion for the industry is, is palpable, and we're excited to see how Redivider will reshape the future of data centers. So. To our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. If you found this conversation as enlightening as we did, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts so you won't miss out on future episodes. Uh, The growth of data is not slowing down and the challenges in the data center industry are real, but with innovators like Tom and the team at Redivider, we have reasons to be optimistic. Their modular, scalable, and sustainable approach could be the key to unlocking the future capacity of data centers. This is not just about more efficient business operations, but it's about paving the way for a future where data can truly serve us in ways that we can only imagine right now. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you in the next episode in two weeks. Tom Frazier, co-founder and CEO of Redivider, thank you so much for your time today.
0: Thanks for having me.